Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 53. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Do you love vintage cars? Then go to CarsYeah.com and get a free copy of the fantastic Filler Up book. It's a full-color ebook filled with fuel filler fun with over 60 color photographs of vintage cars plus inspirational quotes from some of the most famous automotive enthusiasts of all time. Simply go to CarsYeah.com, click on the free book button on the homepage, and download your Filler Up book today. It's free at CarsYeah.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. Today, I'm extremely excited to introduce my special guest, Rod Emery. Rod, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Absolutely. My helmet's on and my tires are already warm. Oh, cool. That's a great response. Rod Emery is the owner of Emery Motorsports and a third-generation gearhead. After years of building and modifying automobiles with his grandfather and his dad, in their McMinnville facility, he launched his own business, restoring vintage Porsches. The company grew, and he now operates a second facility in Lancaster, California. Rod, like his grandfather and his father before him, takes his craft very seriously and not only restores old 356 Porsches, but takes them to the next level by creating one-of-a-kind outlaws, custom builds that go beyond anything Dr. Porsche could ever dream up. Rod also restores and services vintage Porsche race cars, and you'll find iconic models like the 906, the 908, the Porsche Cooper, and many more in his shop. Rod is a visionary craftsman and coach builder who continues to expand and grow the Emory family spirit. So Rod, I've given our listeners just a little tease about what you do. Would you share a little bit more about your history, your business, your interests, and of course, your passion for automobiles? Absolutely, Mark. Thanks again for having me on here. It's uh, it's great. I love your show. And, you know, I love being involved in motorsports and car building. Uh, you know, I come, as you said, from a third generation of custom car builders and, and motorsports family. Uh, my grandfather, Neil Emery, uh, had a shop in Burbank, California that he started with his brother-in-law in 1948. It was called Valley Custom Shop. It's really where my family got its start in uh, automotive customizing and, uh, and building hot rods. Uh, they were really the pioneers when it came to channeling and sectioning cars. You know, there were a lot of other builders like Winfield and Barris and some of the others that were really known for chopping their cars. But one of the things that uh, my grandfather always prided himself on is that he tried to take the design that Ford or Chevy or, you know, Buick or Oldsmobile had and enhance it, but make it so that it's completely customized without being able to really detect what was done. And so by sectioning cars, he was taking the, the thick fatness out of the center section of the car, raising wheel wells, um, you know, lowering them, but he wasn't nailing the roof like so many customizers were chopping. And so he operated that shop uh, until 1962 when uh, a good friend of his, Chick Iverson, had a car lot in uh, Toluca Lake area. And he decided that he wanted to go and open a Porsche and Volkswagen dealership in Newport Beach, California. And he talked my grandfather into closing down Valley Custom Shop and heading down to run the body shop for the Porsche dealership. Now, 
you know, as you know, Porsches are put together a little bit differently than your traditional cars. You know, they're, they're unibody construction, which means it takes craftsmen to be able to, uh, you know, fix the fenders, fix the nose, fix the tail when they get banged up. And so Chick Iverson knew that my grandfather was the right guy since so many people were bringing these Porsches into California and, you know, they were banging them up. So he knew he needed somebody that could fix them properly. And my grandfather, Neil, was the guy, ran the body shop there at Chick Iverson Volkswagen Porsche, which is where my family transitioned from traditional custom cars and hot rods into the Porsche world. He moved his entire family down there, and my dad, at age 16, started working in the car lot, detailing cars, and then moved his way into the parts department. So you have now my grandfather doing all the body work on Porsches and my father selling parts. And then, you know, a few years later, uh, I came around, and uh, that was where I was able to really draw off of both my father and his very unique eye and design for cars, as well as the craftsmanship and eye of of my grandfather. So my dad, uh, after he left Chick Iverson Volkswagen Porsche, he started Porsche Parts Obsolete, which was really a company that, that began from buying all of Porsche and Volkswagen's distributor obsolescence. So when a dealership had anything that was more than two years old, they would send all the parts back to the distributor, to these big warehouses. And unfortunately, the warehouses got so full that Porsche and Volkswagen started crushing the parts, literally throwing them away. Oh, no. So my dad saw that. <laughs> yeah, my dad saw that as, as a business opportunity and said, you know, we got to buy this stuff. And, and that's when Porsche parts obsolete began. So to continue his... Uh, uh, world in, in selling parts for these cars. You know, he was he was really the go-to guy all through the 70s and 80s. And for me, uh, where I got my start is that in the back of my dad's parts shop, there was a bay that we used for doing minor service work and, and repair work. And so at age 10, 11 years old, I learned how to gas weld. I learned how to hammer weld and bend metal and uh, started wrenching on cars. And, and in fact, I, um, you know, built my first uh, 356 and finished it when I was 14 years old. And my grandfather, uh, you know, really passed on some, some amazing skills to me that gave me an opportunity to develop my craft. And uh, then I went on to uh, race. At 16, I started racing actually a Porsche 356 at Willow Springs Raceway, got my license and really found a love for vintage racing. And so it took my, my love for racing and the craftsmanship and skill that my grandfather gave me and my dad's eye for design and took all that and put it together. And, and then in about 1996, started my own company, Emory Motorsports, as you mentioned, uh, which to this day, we've uh, built over 150 Porsches of various models, 356s, 911s, 906s, 908s. And the business really started out uh, more as a motorsports business, building cars for people and and teaching them how to become race car drivers. Uh, then we got into the arrive and drive business uh, in the late 90s running multiple semi-trucks, taking people racing from everywhere from Seattle to Daytona. From about 1998 until about 2008, we did an average of 12 races a year with 15 to 20 clients per weekend, um, all with vintage Porsches. So we just really stuck to that mark. It just turned out to be an amazing business model. But, you know, like so many businesses, when the economy took a little bit of a, a, a turn, uh, vintage racing also started to slow down a little bit, and I saw that as an opportunity to to uh, then really focus my business just on client services and, and at-track services. I got away from that, and I really started focusing hard on, on building real high-end uh, street Porsche 356s with you know more horsepower and 
different suspension and, and really more coach building. So, you know, now, as you mentioned, we have our facility in Lancaster and I spend the majority of my day now reshaping and remolding bodies, doing metal and aluminum work. In fact, I'm restoring a 1951 aluminum-bodied Gamund SL, one of the three cars that was prepared for Le Mans in 1951. So oh, that's wow. one of the cars I'm working on. Uh, so I've got a lot of really neat projects going on and, um, you know, expanded my capabilities over time. Our sister company here in our same facility is uh, a company, Sage Cheshire Aerospace. Uh, so my partner and I, we, we build Porsches, but we also build uh, vehicles that go to space, uh, which is kind of fun. Uh, one of the big projects we did a few years ago is that we built the space capsule that took Felix Bumgardner, the base jumper, up to 128,000 feet. And he jumped and was the first human to break the speed of sound without a vehicle uh, when Mach 1.25. So in my shop, you've got a 1951 aluminum-bodied Gamund Porsche being handcrafted and, and restored. And right next to it, we have uh, space vehicles that we're taking up to space. So um, I always tell people, you know, there, there's not much we can't do. You know, we have water jet Hoff CNC equipment. We have uh, a 20 foot by 12 foot gantry mill that I'm able to build wood bucks for uh, for uh, our coach building and metal shaping, as well as all the other fabrication equipment like Eccles and uh, Eccles craft former uh, English wheels, pole maxes, planishing hammers, all the stuff it takes to to bend and manipulate metals. So that's what we do. Uh, we 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 make uh, beautiful vehicles and we have a lot of fun doing it. And I still provide some at track support. In fact, I'm headed to Monterey uh, this afternoon to hit the uh, Monterey Historics Week and, uh, you know, do some track support and services for a couple of my clients with some of their cars. So uh, just a real pleasure to be on here with you, Mark. Wow, Rod, what an amazing story. And I don't know how many times a day you must pinch yourself to have been able to grow up with your grandfather and your father and get the in-shop training that you've received and continue in that legacy. What what a dream come true. And I had no idea you built that capsule. I think how many millions of people have watched that gentleman jump from space out of that uh, that capsule that you guys created. So uh, incredible story, my friend. Just wonderful, very inspiring, and uh, love your energy and your enthusiasm. As we continue on this journey, I always like to start with a success quote, a saying that's been instrumental in forming your life and your success. It's a really great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars Yeah. So since you've got race cars loaded up and ready to go, Rod, take the wheel. Well, you know, the quote and, and one of the things that I live by is that uh, you know, potential is like a bag of fertilizer. And if you don't put it to use, all you're left with is a bag of crap. <laughs> and for me, that's really, um, you know, one of the things that, that I, I think about every day. You know, I mean, I'm given uh, an amazing opportunity on this earth with the skills and and guidance and foundation that my family has laid out. And uh, if I was to take that and and not put it to use, I'd really be doing myself and the world, a, you know, a, a, an injustice because uh, there's so many amazing things you can do when you've got the right people around you and the right support. And when you get up early and get to work, I always, uh, you know, tell everybody that I get up before the sun does every single day. And, uh, you know, I, I hit it hard and try to get home as early as I can so that I can spend time with my amazing wife and two children. And, and that's, that's what, you know, gets me up every morning is, uh, is to create great things and then get to spend quality time with, uh, with my wife, Amy, and Jean and Jade. Well, fantastic and very inspirational. And that's what Cars Yeah is all about is inspiring automotive enthusiasts. And, and you are just that. Rod, you shared a little bit of how you incorporate that into your life, and that's wonderful. Could you share 
a story with us that instigated your passion for cars. And this is probably easy for you because of your incredible family history. But tell us that pivotal moment when you really knew that you're a car guy. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I, I was fortunate to be able to grow up around all these cars and to, to um, you know, be at events at an early age. Uh, you know, everything from my grandfather and my dad dragging me to events like, um, uh, you know, the West Coast Customs event in Paso Robles that used to be every year. Uh, you know, we're, we're at age 9, 10 years old. Uh, I was cruising around the event in a 29 Roadster pickup or being able to, to uh, go with my dad to the Great Labor Day cruise at Orange County Fairgrounds every year. Uh, you know, so I, I think for me, it's, it's, it's being around cars that has really driven the, the passion for me to be able to, uh, you know, go after that myself. But there was a certain moment in my life where I knew I was on the right track. And I knew that it was something that, that um, you know, really helped me to, to believe in the actual cars that I was building. Because, you know, my, my family has built some amazing stuff. In fact, uh, my grandfather, uh, he built the um, SoCal Streamliner for Alex Exidius at SoCal Speed Shop in oh, 1950, which was wow. the first hot rod. That was the first hot rod to go over 200 miles an hour. And so it was an aluminum body, aluminum envelope body car that... Dean Batchelor, who was the old editor at Road and Track, he uh, had uh, designed what this body was going to be like, and my grandfather handcrafted that. And then other cars, uh, in fact, um, a 29 Roadster that uh, my grandfather had built just went through the RM auction for about $600,000. So, you know, a lot of money for an old hot rod. Yeah. Uh, and then another, another car that my grandfather and father did is um, kind of a neat little story. My, my dad, Gary Emery, he... Uh, Growing up at Chick Iverson Volkswagen Porsche, uh, you know he was a he was a worker and didn't have a whole lot of money. But you know he got up every morning and went to work. And all of his buddies had Myers Manx dune buggies, and they uh, they just loved to be able to go out to the desert on the weekends, whether it was Ocotillo Wells or Borrego, and you know have some fun. And my dad couldn't afford to buy a uh, one of these cars from Bruce Myers, so he ended up trading a little motorcycle with uh, one of their customers for a. 56 oval window ragtop VW bug. And the thing had been rear-ended and then shoved into the car in front of it. Well, so imagine this little Volkswagen. It's been smashed at both ends. So he rolled the car into the body shop where my grandfather was at the dealership. He said, Dad, I think it's time for me to build a, uh, you know, something to go out in the desert with. So what did they do? They took this 56 bug, and this was in the mid-60s, and they hacked the nose off, they hacked the tail off, they put front fenders in the rear they rolled the edges on the fenders, they lopped off the hood and deck lid, exposed the motor, they put a, a bus reduction gearbox in uh, the rear, cranked up the front torsion axle, and uh, put some Anson Sprint wheels on it, some oversized tires, painted it, got rid of the glass windows and put twist-in uh, vinyl windows, and that was the birth of the Baja Bug. Oh my gosh, so, I had no I, idea that your family did. I I grew up in Southern California, and I saw those all <laughs> over the place. I had friends with them. And, you know, this is wonderful learning this from you. What an amazing story. <laughs> so, it, yeah, so that was the birth of the Baja Bug in the mid-60s. And a good friend of my dad's, a gentleman by the name of Drino Miller, um, was the one that built the first kit. Now, Drino worked for Bruce Myers at Myers Manx, and he saw my dad's Baja Bug and said, Gary... I have to have one of these. And so he asked my dad if he could build a fiberglass kit, and that was the birth of the, the kit for the Baja Bug. Oh, wow. So, you know, if you, if you look at, you know, some of these things that my, or my grandfather and my father have done over the years, it's pretty amazing. And so for me, um, you know, it was time to, to really 
put my stake in the ground and uh, as I, you know, learned and developed my craft. And, you know, growing up, uh, my dad and I were always taking little 356s in the back of his shop and we were pulling the headlights or, you know, changing headlights and putting fog lights in the front and putting hood straps on the cars and getting rid of the bumpers and building Nerf bars and polishing the drums and putting wheels on them. And, you know, so about the late 80s, a couple of buddies of my dad's came over to the shop and said, hey, you know, you guys are outlaws. And that's what they called my dad and I when I was growing <laughs> up, you know. And, and uh, so a buddy of ours that was a jeweler um, made a little badge that said 356 Outlaws. And that was the birth of what we now know as Outlaws as it's associated with Porsches. And we made those badges and never sold them, but we put them on the cars we build as well as cars that we feel are inspired by the way that, uh, you know, we like to do things. And, um, you know, so my dad and I were doing that for years. And then it was time for me to really, uh, you know, build that car that was, uh, you know, my grandfather did the SoCal Streamliner, my dad did the Baja Bug, and it's like, you know, what am I going to do? So I took a 1964 Porsche 356 Cabriolet in 1998, and I leaned the nose back, and I rolled the rockers, and I leaned the windshield back, and I lengthened the tail, and I took a six-cylinder 911 motor that uh, a good friend of ours had developed that we turned into a four-cylinder motor, put 911 suspension in it, big brakes, you know, really highly modified this uh, this car that I now call the Emory Special. And I built the car, hooked up my little trailer uh, that we had restored, a little aluminum pook camp trailer to the back of it. And my wife, and at the time, three-month-old Zane, jumped in it and drove to Monterey uh, 16 years ago, towing our little trailer, and we showed up. And when we showed up in the paddock, this was Porsche's 50th anniversary weekend, it was almost like uh, I felt like a rock star because, you know, people just parted away, and I came pulling in, and, you know, this thing sounds like a Harley, and it's, you know, it's radical looking, and it's real low, and it's, you know, it looks sectioned. All of a sudden, everybody came over to me. And one of the first guys was, was Jerry Seinfeld. He'd come over, and he'd get underneath it. He jumps in. He says, oh, Rod, I'd love to own this car. And I was like, well, it's not for sale. Um, and then there was a group of uh, Germans that had come over um, because it was such a big Porsche weekend. They came over and they were kind of mulling around the car and looking at it all over. And they're talking to each other. And, and uh, one of them came over and was talking, right, standing right next to him, was talking to one of the other guys. And he, he says, uh, when did we build this car? <laughs> and for me, that was that pivotal moment oh, when yeah. I knew that, I knew that I was on the right track because here are some of the top guys from Porsche, a couple of old engineers, some of the designers, uh, about six of these guys. And, and uh, in fact, I, I still have the business card from the gentleman that, uh, that said that to me, and it was quoted then again in the magazine. But uh, it was just such a neat moment for me because, you know, for years people have been telling me, ah, oh, you know, it's sacrilege to chop up a Porsche or to not make it perfectly stock. And I said, and, you know, but I've, I've spent my life tastefully customizing these things. And to hear that from guys at Porsche, you know, wondering when they built that car, that was a, a testimony to me that I was on the right track. And so ever since then, you know, I've, I've just continued to build cars with a passion that I have and try to do it like my grandfather did, where you're tastefully enhancing the design, but making it so that nothing stands out so much that you know it's been customized, but instead you know, just making things look as good or better than the original design, but highly modified. Well, fantastic story, and, and thank you for sharing all that. You jumped ahead to one of my questions about aha, an aha moment, but, you know, I was down there, and I remember that, and I remember seeing your car. I've got pictures of it, and it was spectacular, is spectacular, so uh, wonderful stories. 
Rod, what I want to do now is take a look at some other roads you've driven down and really crawl under the hood and get our hands a little dirty. Would you share with our listeners a huge challenge or even a great failure that you faced in your business and your career that really pushed you to a breaking point? And more importantly, share with us how you overcame that situation and what you learned from it. Well, yeah, I mean, with every business, you have, uh, you know, you have peaks and valleys. And and, uh, I think that, uh, you know, one of the times that that everything kind of caught me uh, off guard a little bit was uh, in 2008. You know, at the time, as I mentioned earlier, I was running an arrive and drive and track support type service. You know, I had over a million dollars in uh, in semi trucks. Uh, in fact, one of my trailers was set up with bathrooms and locker rooms and a commercial kitchen in it. Uh, we could haul five cars in that truck. Plus, I had two other trailers and trucks. So, you know, really, we were full speed ahead, taking people racing all over the country. You know, when you invest that kind of money and you put your life savings into it, you know, you're, you know, as a as a small business owner, um, you know, you really take everything personally. And so, the last thing you want to do is is just, uh, you know, close the doors or, you know, go bankrupt or, or something like that because, uh, you know, it's just too much work that you've put into it. But, you know, there was a period of time in 2008 when, when the economy slowed and uh, I was used to having a lot of customers that wanted to go racing. So to take a step back, my wife and I decided that it's time for us to make sure that our customers, you know, are well-informed and that we're making a decision based on facts and on data, that we weren't just... Uh, you know, going to go ahead and pull the plug on vintage racing track support if the demand was still going to be there, if it was going to be a, you know, a, a quick turnaround. So what I did is I put a schedule together for 2009 and I submitted that to all of my clients. And I said, look, I'd like all of you guys to tell me what, how many races you can commit to. And if you can't commit to, you know, if I can't get a, a 40%, you know, subscriber uh, base to, to go and do the races that I was going to discontinue the track support and services. And well, after submitting that to all of my clients, um, it was such a volatile time for everybody that the decision was made that, that they probably weren't going to be able to do as many races at least that year, or maybe, you know, for a couple of years. And so we just made the decision that, um, you know, we were going to go ahead and, and stop offering that support and services, but we made a decision quick enough that I was able to sell a couple of the trucks that I had and not end up with, you know, when trucks are that expensive, it's like having a mortgage payment. And so, uh, you know, we were able to sell them and uh, recoup our money back out of them and not have, be stuck with payments or uh, be forced to, to have to liquidate um, uh, uncomfortably. So, um, you know, really it's all about not overreacting and trying to be able to be flexible. And uh, that's what my wife and I have always done is uh, really just try to keep calm and, and stay uh, even grounded. And now uh, it's... Our business changed. Now we're building more cars, doing more restorations. And uh, like I said earlier, uh, in fact, we're even building things that go to space. Uh, so it, it's a lot of fun. And um, so my advice to anybody else is just don't overreact. Do your research, collect your data, and make the most educated decision that you can. And then just go with your gut. Well, that's a wonderful, wonderful bit of advice, for, especially for entrepreneurs. And so many of my guests on Cars Yeah! experienced that huge downturn in 2008 and some of them just it changed their whole lives in in very negative ways and others were able to pivot very quickly like you were and find something else i think one of the key takeaways from your experience was you talked to your customers quickly and you found out what they were going to do you didn't just wait for them to react you were reaching out to them so great advice i love that Rod, let's have a little fun here. What was your first very special car 
and maybe you can share a memory you had with that vehicle. <laughs> oh, I have a very special car. The very first car that I built, uh, in fact, we built two cars, my father and I, side by side. It was in uh, 1998, I was 14, or 1988, excuse me, I was 14 years old, and my dad he wanted a right-hand drive 65 356 coupe, and I always wanted an early one, earliest I could find. So I found a 1953 Porsche 356 coupe. So we did a full restoration on both cars, and uh, my dad was full of ideas, and it was up to me to, you know, take those ideas and, and uh, you know, make these cars a reality. And so I took a 1953 Porsche 356 and actually backdated it a little bit. Made it like a 52, so I put a split windshield and body bumpers. Did it as a vintage race car, but a car that I could also drive on the street. And so, you know, at 16 years old, the car was completely done. Went to an event in Steamboat Springs, Colorado, and just had an amazing reaction from everybody because, um, you know, they had never seen a uh, an early pre-A car done quite like this. So I, you know, continued to drive and race that car and uh, raced it all the way up until 2009, so uh, just about uh, 20 years, and you know the car always provided me with amazing fun and uh, uh, such a, a, a you know a great experience all the way around. In fact, a couple times I was even able to take my son at full speed around Thunder Hill during their mechanics picnic uh, in between our vintage racing. Oh, great! The greatest memory I have with that particular car is that what that car did after I uh, was done racing it. Something that my wife and I have always been involved in, uh, starting back in 2000, one of my close friends crashed on a motorcycle and lost his left leg. And so we've done a number of fundraisers for years and years, uh, starting with him, where we uh, rehabilitated him and then raised enough money to get him a new limb. Then I coached and trained him and took him racing. In fact, he was my co-pilot uh, at Daytona in, in uh, a GT3 in, in 2005. So for about six or eight years, my wife and I were raising money for a foundation called the Limbs for Life Foundation, which provides prosthetic limbs to people that can't afford them. And we were using racing as a vehicle to be able to raise money and awareness for this charity. Well, after I quit racing and the economy kind of took a change, uh, my wife and I decided, you know, why don't we do something, you know, that's good for the, the common good, but good for a sp specific group of people. And so uh, we made the decision in, in 2009 to donate my car. So this is a car that I built. Sorry. Mm -hmm. This is a car that I put my heart, blood, sweat, and tears in. As yeah. a kid, raced the thing, enjoyed it for so many years. My wife and I knew that uh, we could do something pretty special with it. So we, uh, we donated it to the Limbs for Life Foundation in 2009, and we started an online fundraising campaign where we told them that we would sell raffle tickets and um, and. Uh, raffle this car off and that all the proceeds would go to people that had lost limbs. Well, uh, the Porsche community uh, embraced this. And in fact, we sold $1,800 tickets. We raised $180,000 from this one car. Wow. And then in 2010, we loaded it up in a trailer and uh, we went and delivered it to the person that, that won the car with a $100 ticket. But you know, the greatest thing is that that car now has a new owner, but the legacy that it's left, uh, it put 60 people back on their feet that had lost limbs. And that's why it chokes me up a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, there's 60 people that send me letters and thank me all the time for the, the money that we raised for the foundation and got people back, uh, living a full life again, because, you know, it's just unfortunate the way that, you know, our healthcare system has been for years that, you know, an individual could lose a limb and, uh, they could, be forced to leave the hospital with nothing more than a pair of crutches. And, uh, yeah. you know, so yeah. through this foundation, 
we've been able to do some great things. And uh, that car uh, will continue to change lives for uh, years to come. So, oh, wow. Um, well, thanks for letting me share that story. Oh, I appreciate you sharing it. And I've got goosebumps all over my, my body right now for, for you sharing that personal story. What an amazing thing you and your wife did. Just gut-wrenching, heart-wrenching, and absolutely incredible people that you are. And amazing how a vehicle can be used as a vehicle to help so many people. And what a great, great story to share with us. Thank you so very much. Very inspirational. Uh, Obviously, I (laughs) I think you may have answered the next question, although maybe not, and that was seller's remorse. If there's a vehicle that you've ever sold, you really, really wish you could have back. But I think, I think in this case, you don't really want that vehicle back because it did so much good. But maybe there's another car in your, in your past that you wish you could have back. You know, the only car that, uh, from my past that I wish I could have back would be, uh, um, the 1966 911, uh, that my father put fender flares on and a little duck tail and he drove my mom to the hospital the day that i was born so oh. uh, when she was when she was getting ready to uh go into labor uh they jumped in uh, in his little 911 and they went to hogue hospital in newport beach and the car was sold uh, when i was real young and uh so it's not my my car but it, it's a family car that uh, right. you know my dad and i both wish uh, we still had so, yeah holy uh, cow that, that's my that's my seller's remorse car. Yeah, well, you really did have your start in a Porsche. For sure, you weren't even born yet and you were in one. So <laughs> that's pretty darn cool. Pretty darn cool. Is there a current project you guys are working on right now in your shop that really has you excited and fired up? Well, as I mentioned briefly a few minutes ago, uh, I'm restoring a uh, uh, 51 Porsche 356 Gamond SL, which is uh, uh, one of the uh, cars that was prepared for Le Mans. Really a, a, a neat car. There's a there's a great book called The Last Eleven that goes through the history of the aluminum-bodied Gamund cars. It's definitely a book that people need to get their hands on if they have an opportunity because it, it talks about the early history of Porsches, but specifically Porsches start in motorsport. And so I'm working on one of the cars that was one of the lightweight Porsches uh, that was uh, used in the early days of, of motorsport. Oh, tremendous. Well, we can't wait to see that when it's completed. Okay, now here's a funny question for you, Rod. If you were a car, what kind of car would you be and why? Hmm. If I was a car, what kind, what kind of car would I? Okay. Yeah. You know, um, it would definitely have to be something as as big as possible. And and here's why. Uh, you know, maybe um, maybe a uh, you caught me off guard on this one. <laughs> um, maybe you know, maybe an an early you know Rolls Royce limousine. And the reason I would want a big car is because I love having as many people around me as possible. Uh. So, um, you know. In life, uh, life is all about the experiences that you have with uh, your family and your friends and all the good people around you. And there's no better way to enjoy everybody's company, in my opinion, than to be, uh, you know, doing it in and amongst cars and, and automobiles. So, uh, you know, a Porsche, my wife and I have always said, you know, we're, we're just going to have uh, two kids because we want to uh, make sure that we can always fit in a Porsche. But when it comes to, uh, you know, a car, if I was going to be one, I'd want it to be a limousine so that I could shove as many people as possible in there. So, wow. Uh, so that, there you go. That's the best I can give you. That's a great answer, and it's a very honest answer, and I love it because as I switched one of my questions early on at Cars yeah, to this question, 
because of a um, a guest I had, and he brought it up. And so I've had some guests that have answered extremely honestly instead of answering my favorite car, and you just did right. that. So that's fantastic. All right, Rod, this is what I call the last lap, and this is where I fire off a series of questions, and you give our listeners very quick a blips of the throttle answers. Are you ready to go? Okay, I'm oh, ready. Okay. What is the best automotive advice you've ever received? Uh, best automotive advice I've ever received is make sure you prep your car and you're always prepared with tools and spares. <laughs> exactly. Would you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your success? Uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, every single day I get up before the sun does because uh, the earlier you can get up in the morning and, and get after uh, whatever your project is, the more flexibility you have throughout the day. And um, so for me, it's, it's all about getting up early. Great advice. And my very first guest on the show, Rick Cole, Rick Cole Auctions, same advice. He gets up super early. He said he'd rather see a sunrise than a sunset. So, Absolutely. Do you have a resource you could share with our listeners that you're really fond of, say a website or a forum or... Well, you know, I'll tell you what has contributed to more opportunities, more networking, and and um, getting to know people than anything else in the last two years, and that's Instagram. Hmm. Now, Instagram has quickly become a way that people are immediately able to share uh, metal shaping techniques with each other, both in video and, and uh, photos, as well as their projects and, and as they're going. And it's uh, it's also a great way to quickly and easily interact with other automotive enthusiasts and, and people that you share passions with. Um, I'll be honest, that's my favorite place to go. I've met everybody from fabricators to amazing car builders to custom car guys, Porsche guys. All I can say is that it's quickly becoming one of the, the, the greatest tools for um, also being able to find and reach out to a new customer base. Uh, I would say that 50% of all of my new inquiries come because people are excited about the posts and the things that I share on Instagram of all places. Great advice, and I'm just finding the same thing. as I've, I've only been into cars, yeah, now two months, and just started an Instagram account about two weeks ago, and because of the niche I'm in with automotive like you are, it's perfect for this kind of medium for pictures and sharing ideas and things like that. And I'm seeing some people on Instagram start to sell things on Instagram as well. So that's a great piece of advice. I appreciate that. Is there a book that you've recently read that you could share with our listeners that you really enjoyed? I know you mentioned that one Porsche book earlier, but is there another book? Yeah, I mean, that, for me, that's a it's a great book that'll give you some history on, on Porsche stuff. You know... Uh, that was the the book I was going to mention, uh, you know, to you. Yeah, no, that's fine. It, maybe let's mention that again. What's the name of that book again, and the author? So that particular book is called The Last Eleven, and it was uh, written by Jacques Mertens and uh, Phil Carney, and it's a, a great little book that just talks about the early Porsche history. Great. Okay. Well, I'll remind our listeners that we will put all these links up at carsyad.com slash Rod Emery on. His show notes page will pop up if you put Rod into the search box, and you can find all these resources that uh, Rod has shared with us so graciously. One other question for you real quick in the last lap. Do you have any interesting hobbies outside of your passion for cars? You know, I just started uh, picking up the drums, you know, something that I've always wanted to be able to do. Uh, you know, I come, I'm not a very musically inclined person. I can't really sing. I've never played an instrument, but I've got a son that has an amazing voice that uh, 
is also a, a, you know an actor in the entertainment business, and and so he's inspired me to uh, pick up an instrument, and and I decided I wanted the loudest, most energetic <laughs> uh, instrument or a set of instruments that I could get. So just picked up a an old set of uh, maple pearl uh, drums. So uh, my garage now needs some sound deadening before everybody around me, uh, you know, turns me in. I think that's pretty funny because for somebody that pounds on sheet metal, now they're pounding on drums. <laughs> I think that's a perfect fit. And you mentioned your son. He is a fantastic, credibly skilled young man in in singing. I watched a YouTube the other day and uh, wow, what a voice. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. You, you. I'm sure you're very proud. All right, we're up to the checkered flag here, Rod. You know what that means? We're nearing the end of the race. This last question can be a real doozy for some people. If you could only have one collector car in your garage, and this is something you can't sell to buy a bunch of other cars with, and money is no object, what would that vehicle be and why? Well, uh, can it be a car that I already have? <laughs> well, if you already have your dream car, you're, you're just your fortune in life just continues to grow. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just picked this car up, and uh, you know it, it's not an expensive one, but I uh, a car that I've always wanted is, of all things, a 1950 Ford Business Coupe. Now, a 50 Ford Business Coupe is a car that uh, you know after the war there were businessmen, uh, you know all these people going back into the workforce, and Ford you know developed a kind of base model little coupe that yeah, businessmen would I take know that and, car. And drive 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 around the country, and uh, you know hand out their samples and do business. Well, sure. um, you know, I've, I've always loved uh, a 54 business coupe. In fact, my grandfather customized one in the fifties that I've been in love with my whole life. And so I uh, just got this car and uh, going to do some uh, mild customizing to it. And uh, then my wife and kids and I will probably have to put a backseat in it because a business coupe doesn't normally have a backseat, but we're going to just use that car to, you know, whether it's hit Bob's big boy on Friday night or drive up to, San Jose to see my buddy Alex Gambino at, uh, you know, his shop when he does the sit-down uh, custom car event or, you know, any of those various uh, little, uh, you know, hot rod events. Um, you know, so it's something I'm really excited about, something I've always wanted. I, I, I have it, and it's box stock right now, but you know me, I'm an outlaw. Yep. I can't leave anything alone, <laughs> and uh, it'll uh, it'll definitely get the Emery touch, and uh, I'll do it over time and, and have some fun with it. Oh, fantastic. We can't wait to see that. Well, Rod, you've taken us on an amazing ride today, and I've really enjoyed your stories. I want to thank you for sharing your journey with me and the listeners. If you could give our listeners one parting piece of guidance before you drive off to Monterey for a week of vintage racing, and then let our listeners know what's the best way for them to learn more about Emory Motorsports, and then we'll say goodbye. All right. Well, the best advice I can uh, give everybody is more uh, on, on a personal level, and that is the best gift you can give your child is to love and support them in following their dreams, because that's what my mom and dad did to me. They gave me the ability to be able to go after whatever it was that I chose. And I chose motorsports and building cars. So uh, I live my life doing the same, uh, giving my, my kids uh, the opportunity to live out their dream, whatever that may be. Uh, my son's an actor and my daughter uh, at 11 years old is an aerial and aerialist and trapeze artist. So she flies around uh, 30 feet in the air. Oh so my I, gosh. Let them live their, I let them live their dream and support them fullheartedly. Wonderful. Um, and you know, the best way to, to learn more about Emory Motorsports or me is uh, my website, which is emorymotorsports.com, E-M-O-R-Y, motorsports.com. Also, Instagram. Uh, I'm active on there, posting things throughout the day, uh, both 
uh, about the cars I'm building and the techniques that I'm using, as well as little tidbits on uh, some family stuff. So that's Instagram.com forward slash Rod Emery, R-O-D-E-M-O-R-Y. Wow. And uh, on both those both of those sites, you'll be able to find my contact information if you want to learn more about me. Fantastic. Well, listeners, you can find links to everything that Rod has shared with us today at carsyad.com slash Rod Emery, M-E-O-R-Y, just as Rod told us. Just go there, put Rod in the search bar, and all of this will pop up. Rod, I want to thank you for being so generous with your time. I know this is a busy day, and you're about to hit the road and head off to Monterey. I look forward to seeing you down there. I'll be heading down there in a few days myself. I want to thank you for sharing your expertise, your stories, and your experiences with our listeners. Until we talk again, we'll see you down the road. Sounds great. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah! Yeah!